0: Let's open in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, thank you. Thank you for your word, the guidance it provides for us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, the ability that he gives us to interpret your word and apply your word. I thank you for your love and your continual desire to intervene in, in our lives and our situations to draw us closer to you. I thank you for the brotherhood and the, the sisterhood here. Thank you for the community that we have. And I pray, Lord, that as you, give me the, as you have given me the opportunity to open your word for all of us today, uh, that I won't embarrass you that I will speak clearly, and anything that I miss, that you would sort it out, and that we would all be closer to the ideal that you have for us as a result of having thought through this passage this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Some of you may know, some of you may not know, that the... uh, kind of like the template that we've been using through the Summer Message series, is a book called Caught Off Guard, Encounters with an Unexpected God. Uh, we have not preached through the entire book. It is a very, very, very easy read and a very, very challenging read. Uh, if, if any of you are looking for something that, that you'd like to get into that will uh, challenge your view of uh, the scriptures and, um, no, that that came out wrong, Uh, challenge challenge your view of understanding the scriptures and of studying the scriptures and of learning from uh, biblical characters and the examples that they trace for us. This is a great book. My my favorite chapter in it was on the life of Lot, and so uh, I got so excited studying Lot's life and working through the chapter in the book that uh, I went way past what the, the author, uh, Bill Smith, uh, had written. And so I, I've retitled the, uh, the message, We Can Learn A Lot From Lot. Today we're going to start with an overview of Lot's life. We're going to ask ourselves some questions about Lot. And once we understand his, his situation in the context of his life, um, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to draw some practical lessons that will help us to better reflect the people that we are, that we are called to be as children of God. So the, the, the timeline of Lot's life, you have, most of what we're going to look at today, you can find between Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 14. Um, I'm not going to read particular passages because this is just kind of a flyover. But um, a timeline of Lot's life, his life is intermingled with the story of Abraham. Now, it, I find it helpful when I read about a Bible character or I read about a historical account of the Bible to be able to place it in time, so that I know, you know, who was around at the same time. So. Obviously, Lot and Abraham were contemporaries. Okay, Lot was actually Abraham's nephew. We're going to come to that in a minute. Uh, but there's a, there's a very simple outline for Bible history. It's not 100% accurate, but it gives you a good idea. Okay, uh, We would say that Abraham lived around 2000 BC. Now, since he was 200 plus years old, obviously, there's some space on either side of that. Okay? And then we would say to make it easy, we would say that David lived around 1500. I'm sorry, Moses uh, lived around 1500 BC. David around 1000 BC, and then the the two exiles uh, of Israel were roughly uh, 550 and 650, if I remember correctly. But they're they're in that in that 500 BC range. Okay, And then, of course, we have 0 B.C., or actually 3 B.C., because they messed the calendar up when, uh, when Jesus was born. And from there on, it's another timeline. So the events we're talking about today, roughly around number 2000 B.C. Uh, their family was from Ur of the Chaldees, which was a, a, a large city and a prosperous area at that time. Um, Lot's father, Haran, where Lot's father, I'm sorry, Lot's father, Terah, Haran, who was likely Abraham's older brother, died. The entire family migrated to Haran. Now, this might sound like, well, what a coincidence. His older brother was named Haran, and the city they migrated to was named Haran. Uh, It's not a coincidence. The way society worked back then, uh, Terah had a very large family, and he probably migrated to a place where there was not a lot, and established himself and named the area after his firstborn son, who had died back in Ur of the Chaldees. So Terah dies in Haran, and Abraham is called by God to leave Haran and go to Canaan. Genesis 12:5 leaves me with the impression that Lot chose to go with Abraham. Now, God's called Abraham. Uh, it was pretty straightforward. He, told, he said to Abraham, leave your kindred and your family and go to a land that I will give you. Now, I would figure that nephew fell in kindred and family. I don't know. But the, the, the wording of Genesis 12.5 leaves me with the impression that Lot chose to go with Abraham. So Lot makes the 400-mile trip from Haran to Canaan and settles in Shechem with Abraham. When famine strikes the land and Abraham travels to Egypt to escape it, Lot goes with him. This is in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham and Lot return to Canaan after the famine. They are very wealthy. Their flocks and household staff are great in number. The land cannot support both of them, and their herdsmen are fighting each other. Abraham proposes that they separate. Lot chooses the better land, the Woodard Valley of the Jordan River. When I read a historical account, I try to put myself into it. I I, I try to think about what was going on behind the scenes. You could call this maybe a sanctified imagination. Uh, you know, I'm not going to base any doctrinal principles on on, on my my guesses and, and my questions here, but sometimes they do help me to understand the people involved better. So I ask myself a question. Abraham is the patriarch of, of this family unit, and Lot is his nephew. They are both very rich. Now, Abraham is called upon to lead to, to lead the unit, to the, 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 the clan, so to speak. Lot is called on to follow his lead. Does Lot have so little control over the people that work for him? Does Abraham have so little control over the people that work for him that they end up fighting and these two leaders, the only solution they can come up with is we need to separate. My gut tells me that perhaps we're looking at something similar to, or a little, a little piece of this, might be that we're looking to some, at something similar to the story of the prodigal son. And that Lot's desire, was to be out on his own. Now, just stick that thought in the back of your mind as we look through the rest of the story of Lot. As Abraham was the patriarch, he had the right to the better land. We're not used to that concept here in the US of of social status. Uh, when when we worked in Haiti it was very much a part of our life Uh, if if I if, if I got in a vehicle I was always offered the front seat because frankly I was white and that gave me a certain social status and unless there was somebody else there who had higher status then I got the front seat now if I turned it down sometimes it was viewed as an insult Sometimes it was okay. The point is that in this situation, Abraham should have, he had the right to, the well-watered valley. And yet he was willing to give Lot the choice, and Lot chose it. He chose to take the river, the better land, the more secure land where famine was less likely, He chose to take that for himself the second thing we see here is that he pitched his tents near Sodom later we find him in Sodom but it specifically says he pitched his tents near Sodom initially now that's interesting because if you look at a map of that entire valley he didn't have to be near Sodom there was plenty of other land where he could have pitched his tents in the well-wooded valley that was not near Sodom, but he chose to be near Sodom. The next, we, we, we don't know why. It's just, like I said, it's an interesting, in my opinion, an interesting observation. Lot and his family, the, the, the next big event in his life, Lot and his family are kidnapped and their possessions stolen after the city of Sodom is looted now there was, a, there was a battle and uh, Sodom rebelled against a king that they had been paying tribute to. Uh, the king came down from up north where he lived and basically decimated all of the people who rebelled against him and then a few more. I guess since he was in the neighborhood, he figured you know, he would just conquer more land. And uh, back then when you lost a war, uh, you lost your good stuff. And so they looted the city of Sodom And they took the the people who were in it captive and led them all off. Now, one of the people who escaped went and told Abraham that his nephew had been taken captive. And Abraham and three of his friends from that area of Canaan uh, got together. Abraham had 380, I believe it was, uh, trained men who had grown up in his household or been acquired by him. And they went off and waged war on these five, four kings who had just vanquished eight kings, if I count correctly in Genesis 13, verses 1 through 5. So Abraham takes off with his three friends to take on four kings to get his nephew back. And God gives him the victory. And Abraham vanquishes these four kings, takes back all the people of Sodom, all the goods of Solomon, Sodom, all the stuff that they had pillaged. He takes all that, and he brings it back. And he meets with the king of Sodom and uh, Melchizedek, topic for another message sometime, perhaps. And the king of Sodom says to uh says says to Abraham, okay, well, you know, you can keep all the stuff, just let the people go. And Abraham says, no, he says, I made a, a vow before God that uh, I'm not going to let you say that you made Abraham rich because he wanted God, Abraham wanted God to be known as the source of his blessing. And so, uh, so it, long and the short of it is that that Abraham rescues Lot and all the people of Sodom and they go back home. So we'll fast forward a little bit and we'll get to the part, the next big event in Lot's life as it's recorded in scriptures, is that the Lord sends his angels to destroy Sodom. Now they have explicit instructions as you read through the text. They, they tell Abraham, we can do nothing until you are safe. So, Abraham, or I'm sorry, Lot, Lot sees the angels in the marketplace and invites them into his house. They get in the house, and a mob comes, and they want to drag the men out to abuse them. Abraham goes outside to reason with them. Now, here's another one of those questions I have seen mobs. And it's not like a crowd. Mobs are driven by passion, usually a negative passion, like hatred, greed, envy, something like that. And mobs are not reasonable. So why would Abraham go outside to reason with a mob? Now remember what happened in the relatively recent past when the entire city of Sodom, was repatriated because Lot's uncle, Abraham, went and conquered the kings, It kicked the butt. I'm sorry, I didn't really say that. That conquered the king of Sodom. I believe that the people of Sodom recognized that there was a significant amount of danger in messing with Lot. And that for that reason, he was tolerated, although he ran counter to their culture. Anyways, he goes out. He argues with them. Uh, He doesn't win. The angels reach out, pull him back in, strike the mob with blindness, and and they disappear. Uh, The angels ask. Lot if he has any people. Do you have any people here in the city because we're going to overthrow the city and you need to get out. And so he goes to his son-in-laws. Now his son-in-laws think that he's kidding. And so they refuse to leave with them. And um, I-, I note here again that, you know, Lot at one time had many servants and yet it doesn't say anything about servants or household staff. We end up with four people, the angels dragging four people out of Sodom. When morning breaks, the angels take hold of him and his family and drag them out of the city. They tell them to flee to the mountains. Lot objects that he would not be safe in the mountains. He wants to go to a nearby city called Zor. When he gets to Zor and he sees what happens in Sodom, he didn't feel safe in Zor. I mean, obviously, cities are not that secure if God can destroy them. And so he flees, he flees to a cave. As Lot hides in the cave, he ends up committing incest with his daughters. Their offspring become the nations of Moab and Ammon. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 9 and 19, God speaks to Moses and tells them and tells Moses not to bother not to interfere, not to conquer the people of Moab or Ammon, because God has given that land to them as Lot's descendants. So what life lessons can we take from this? The first thing, when we study a historical account in scripture, we have to recognize that an account tells us what happened. It tells us what God did. It does not tell us what God will do in the future, nor does it dictate what we should do. There's a difference between that time and our time. God's actions demonstrate to us his character, and he will always act in accordance with his character. But the actions that he performed in circumstances in the past are not always the actions that he will perform in similar circumstances in our day. Let me give you a uh, 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 for instance. OK, uh, suppose bad evil people are chasing me and we will even make it because I'm a believer in Christ, just so it's a, it's a closer parallel. And uh, I get to the Delaware River. Now, do I take off my my Carhartt jacket, fold it up, and, and smack the waters of the Delaware so that I can flee across? How many people vote for that option? No, we laugh, we think that's absurd. And yet there are a number of other Old Testament practices that we accept because they happened back then And so we bring them directly into today. When we study historical accounts, we have to be careful to understand that what God did shows us who he is, but not necessarily what he will do. It shows us what he can do. Can God part the Delaware River for me so that I can walk across as on dry land? I would hope, because I don't even want to think about what's in the bottom of that river. Can he do that? I can tell you with 100% certainty that that is within his power. And I believe that with my whole heart. I also don't believe that if I was in that circumstance, he would necessarily do that. And yet, like I said, we we have other instances where we simply accept the Old Testament practice as something that we should do today. A perfect example for me is uh, Gideon put out a fleece. Every time that, or many times, I shouldn't say every time, many times that I have faced uh, a difficult decision for whatever reason, I sometimes make putting out a fleece a a part of the decision-making process. Is that a wrong thing to do? No, it's not wrong at all. In today's world, can God respond to a fleece and and use that as a way to help me to have direction in a decision that I make? Yes, he can. Do I have a right to demand that God will reveal his will to me through that fleece? No, I don't. So when we look at Old Testament historical or historical accounts in general, and since most of them are in the Old Testament, Old Testament accounts in particular, uh, we have to be aware that this is showing us what God did, not what he will do. It's showing us who God is. It's revealing his character. It's demonstrating his capabilities, but it's not a promise that the same thing will happen in the future. We also need to remember that one purpose of Scripture is to show us who God is. We have to ask ourselves the question, what kind of God would do something like what God did here, in this account that we are looking at. Well, what can we learn from God's interaction with Lot? I'd like to look at 2 Peter 2, verses six through nine, because this tells us, this shows us, this passage shows us how the New Testament applied the Old Testament story of Lot. 2 Peter 2, verses 6 through 9. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. We see two things here as we look at Lot this passage gives us an insight into his righteous soul. He was tormented day and night by what he saw in Sodom. Number one. Number two, it tells us the le- one of the lessons that we're to learn from this is to recognize that God knows how to rescue his people when they are in the midst of trials we can absolutely rest assured with 100% confidence that when we are in the midst of a trial or when society around us is going to experience judgment, God knows how to rescue us. Now, this is a distinct saying from God will rescue us. But the the historical account shows us that God cares, God loves, and God can rescue us. He knows how to do that. As we look at the world around us, it's not hard to imagine God judging our society. Whether for the rampant injustices committed by the powerful and popular against the unknown and the powerless, whether it's because of the cultural acceptable demonstrations of persecution, because of our arrogance, our, our, excuse me, our acceptance of evil as good and good as evil, because of our hatred of those who disagree with us, because of our generally self-centered lifestyle. We can take comfort in the fact that he knows how and has the power to rescue his people from the midst of that judgment and should he choose not to do so we can rest in his promise to always give us the strength to meet the challenges of the day. In the account of Lot we also see that our God is a promise keeping God. Lot did not finish well. The, the, last, the last mention of, of his life was him in an incestuous relationship with his daughters. And yet, God honored his promise to his sons, to Lot's sons, in the creation of, and protection of the nations of Moab and Ammon. Despite the example of Abraham in a front row seat to multiple examples of the Lord's provision and protection, Lot was still driven by fear and distrusted the word of the Lord. Yet God preserved his offspring because he, the Lord, had made a promise to them. We can also see from the events of Lot's life that our God is a patient God who longs to see us take him at his word lot received no fewer than five warnings uh, when he was in Sodom the first was the warning of his conscience which was described in second Peter chapter 2 his conscience knew that where he was was not a good place and then he was kidnapped I believe he went to Sodom in search of security and God told them, you know, well, no, you don't have any security here. Now you're kidnapped. Where does your real security come from? It comes from your uncle who walks with me. Then he got another warning when the mob came to break down the door. Now, I don't know about you, but if a mob came to break down my door and and then they left, I wouldn't wait until morning to leave. I would probably head out straight away. But Lot hung around. And then the next morning when the angels said to flee, they had to seize them and take them out of the city. I would like to to believe, I guess in my heart, I know I'm not much better than Lot other than the indwelling Holy Spirit, but I would like to believe that if angels told me, no, we're, you know, we're going to burn the city up and you need to get out, that I would hit the ground running. You know? But no. They had to seize Lot and drag him out. When the angels said, flee to the mountains, he said, oh, wait, I would rather go to Zor. Zor. Can I go to Zor instead? Is Zor okay? It's only a little city. You don't have to destroy that one. And they said, "Okay, go to Zor. And interestingly enough, when he got to Zor and saw what happened to Sodom, he said, "Eh, Zor's not such great stuff. I think I'll take a cave. So Lot turned his back on God's warnings. What about us? How do we respond to God's warnings? Do we ignore them as coincidence? Can we even hear them over our desire for security, prosperity, and comfort? I believe that Lot was driven by a desire for security and sought it in the world rather than the Lord. He chose the well-watered plains of the Jordan because he knew famine and saw that Egypt had escaped it because its economy was centered on the Nile. He chose to pitch his tent near Sodom because he sought the security of a city and the king and a protection of a king. He sought Zor because he believed he would die if he went to the mountains and was on his own, much as Abraham was up in Canaan. He sought a cave because he was afraid after he, he was afraid to be in a city after he saw what happened to Sodom. I have to ask myself. Do I let the panic screams of my fears drown out the Lord's warnings? The Lord directly addressed Lot's search for security in, Solomon, in Sodom when the city was looted, and he and his were hauled off as captives. Was their ultimate security where was their ultimate security when Abraham rescued them? All of us, at one time or another, have ended up somewhere we didn't want to be. I would bet we ended up there not because it was our desired end, but because we made many small steps to get to where we ended up. Along the way, I am sure we ignored God's warnings, the voice of our conscience, his miraculous deliverance, the counsel of others, but in his unending love, he continues to reach out to us. I am surprised how many times I find myself saying or I hear other believers say, yeah, I was just lucky. Maybe they escaped, maybe we, we escaped the, 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 uh, the consequences of our actions. Uh, I remember one time I, I ran a stop sign and a policeman pulled me over. And uh, he, was, he was looking all policeman and serious and everything until he got to the window and he looked in. And my son John was sitting next to me and he happened to be wearing my daughter's, <laughs> you can kid him about this, my daughter's uh, old army uniform shirt because he was going to work. And the cop looked in, thanked John for his service and let me off. So do we want to say, well, Paul, you were lucky that Ruth gave that shirt to John, and John chose to wear that shirt that day, and that John kept his mouth shut when when the cop talked to him? Or we can say, there was a warning there from the Lord my God that I need to pay more attention to stop signs, because I pretty much at that point just ignored all of them. Sometimes we write it off to luck. Sometimes we write it off to other reasons. But the fact of the matter is, we fail to see God's warnings. A final lesson from Lot What about those entrusted to him? What about his family, his household servants? How did they fare in all this? He was charged with their well being. How did that go? There is no mention of household staff in the evacuation although the angels' invitation left room for that. Had their time with Lot in Sodom seduced them into the values and practices of the city? What about his wife? She was dragged out by the angels but looked back and turned to Saul. He was prepared to marry his daughters to men who believed he must be joking when he spoke about God's judgment. The same daughters seduced him. He took them to Sodom and chose to raise them there. I am not saying that we should not live in the midst of sinners, but I do believe we need to heed God's quiet warnings, which have more options than simply to flee. When our fears and our desire for comfort, security, and prosperity blind us to God's warnings, we run the risk of ruining the lives who look to us for leadership as well as our own. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, thank you for giving us Lot as a court, the, the, the details of, of Lot's life as a cautionary tale. I... <laughs> I almost want a tattoo hypocrite on my forehead as I speak to people about being careful not to ignore your warnings when I know that I do so on such a regular basis. Father, forgive me and forgive us. And help us going forward to silence the noise of the desire for security, prosperity, and comfort so that we can hear you speak, because we know that in the end, prosperity is nice but means nothing, and comfort is transient, and security lies only in you. Strengthen us to be the people you've called us to be this week. May we impact our world in the way that you would have us impact it. In Jesus' name, amen.